Welcome to The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series from the Washington Post brand studio and T. Rowe Price. This podcast is designed to inspire long-term success by helping listeners make informed decisions on saving and investing. My name is Kevin McCormley, and I'm the former chief content officer at Kiplinger's Personal Finance Magazine. I'll be your host and moderator. Today's discussion features a roundtable conversation with savvy experts designed to enable listeners to make more informed financial decisions. Targeted to the beginning investor, this episode will speak to the elements of investing, how to get started, and what considerations there need to be for doing so. It will also address how to set up and build a portfolio and how to respond to market fluctuations. My guests include Ariel O'Shea, an investing and retirement specialist at NerdWallet, and Stuart Ritter, a certified financial planner at T. Rowe Price. Welcome to the show, Ariel and Stuart. Thanks for having me. Thanks. The purpose of our discussion today is to make the leap into investing more digestible for rookie investors. And since we're talking about beginners, let's start at the beginning. Stuart, what is investing? Investing is when you take money that you have saved and buy something that has the potential to earn more than you might get in a savings account. It is the opportunity for you to look farther down the road than what you're spending this week, what you plan to buy in the next two years, and think about those bigger purchases. It could be a car. It could be a house. It could be your kid's education. It should be your own retirement. And making sure you're making the decisions about what you do with your money to help build up what you'll need to buy the kinds of things that you want to buy. So why should a person consider doing this versus savings with something safe? The reason someone would want to invest is if you're going to buy something just with your own money, uh, let's use the extreme example of you just buried in the backyard, you have to put a lot of money in your backyard in order to buy a car or a house or your kid's college education or your own retirement. Investing is a way for your money to make money on its own. And the more money your money makes, the less of your additional earnings that you have to save to put towards that goal. So it gives you the opportunity to have more money available, all other things being equal. Okay. Ariel, uh, what are some of the typical investment goals that investors have, and, and how does someone take the first steps toward reaching those goals? So you really want to invest for what I would consider a long-term goal, which is generally something that's five years off or more. One of the most common investing goals is, of course, retirement. As Stuart mentioned, you might want to invest for buying a car, buying a home, your children's college educations, things like home improvements, anything that is a long-term goal and you have time for your money to grow, but also weather some market fluctuations and things like that. So, Stuart, what are some typical investing goals and how does someone take the first step toward reaching them? There are three decisions that somebody has to make. So if you're out there and you're imagining your future and I want to start doing this so I have the opportunity to get some of these larger things, the first piece of that is how much do I need to save in order to be able to buy the thing that I want to buy? And that's where you start with what you want to buy and how much it will cost. And as Ariel alluded to, when do you want to buy it? And there are some calculators out there where you can get some estimates of, mm, if I want a down payment on a house in seven years, here's about how much I need to put away. Or if I want to save for my kid's college education, it might be what's available in your budget. I'm going to save X dollars a month, and that's how I'm going to work it into the rest of the things that I want to do with my money. So some of it can be driven by what you want to buy, 
and what that will cost. And some of it can be driven by, I'm not going to be able to have all of it by the time I want to make the purchase. So I'm going to decide, here's what I'm going to dedicate from my budget. Now, the one goal that you've already heard us talking about is retirement. So I want to throw a number out there. Experts will tell you that 15% is the amount you should target to save for retirement. So take a look at what your salary is, take 15% of that number, and that's the amount you should be saving towards retirement. If your employer happens to be contributing something, then you can subtract that from what has to come from your paycheck. So the answer when it comes to retirement is about 15%. And the answer for other goals is it depends on what you want to dedicate towards that particular goal. Ariel, what do you think people listening when they hear 15% of their pay should be saved for retirement? How, how do you think they react to that? I think for some people, it's probably scary. That's a big number, if, especially if you're not saving anything or you're not saving very much. So I think what Stuart said is really important, which is that if you have an employer match, that counts toward that 15%. And that can offset some of what you need to come up with to meet that 15%. And then I really think it's important to underscore that you can start small and work your way up. You shouldn't wait until you can save 15% if you need to start with saving 3% or 5% or especially a good first goal is to contribute enough to an employer retirement plan to earn that full match. Wherever you can start, start there and then aim to work your way up, whether that means making small increases every year or investing any windfalls you might get, like a tax return or a bonus, things like that. There are ways to work your way up to achieving that 15% goal. Okay, let me add a real world test here for, for both of you. If a person has debt, how should he or she tackle paying that off and investing at the same time? Throughout your entire life, you will have many goals that you are trying to pursue. So thinking about it in terms of the smorgasbord that's out there and making sure you're making progress on the ones that are important to you is the way to approach that. So the idea that I'm just going to focus on one thing and pretend nothing else is going on doesn't get people in the habit of pursuing multiple goals. You may be missing opportunities like Ariel pointed out. If you're not contributing to a 401k plan for retirement where there is an employer match, that's free money that you're not getting. So it's going to be a balance. It's going to start when you're young and it goes all the way through your life. So if you have debt, that's one more goal that you're pursuing, not something that should be preventing you from looking at any of the other ones. Okay, great. Ariel? That's exactly what I would say. I mean, you really don't want debt to prevent you, first of all, from getting that employer match. So I would definitely prioritize, you know, paying the minimums on your debt and making sure that you're getting your employer match. And then after that, you can sort of look at how you're going to be able to accomplish all of your goals, you know, dividing your time and prioritizing things. But you shouldn't let debt stop you from getting started investing, even if that means you have to start small. Thank you. Okay, once a person has decided how much to save, What's the next step? After you figured out how much you're going to save, the next step is to figure out what account you should use. And the reason that's important is because the government has decided that some goals are so difficult to achieve and so big that they're willing to help. And the way they help is to give you some tax advantages if you commit to saving for the goal. So the two big ones that people think about are retirement and saving for college. There are certain accounts, IRAs and 401ks are the typical ones, that if you commit to saving for retirement and you demonstrate your commitment by putting the money in those kinds of accounts, the government will help you out. You pay less in taxes if you choose the right account, and that means you have more money for you to spend on the things you want to spend on. 
So you know where you want to invest. How do you develop an investment strategy? It seems like a scary thing to do, too. That's a big term. <laughs> Let's break it down. What you're looking for is the opportunity to get as much potential growth as you can without losing any money. And those are two ends of the same seesaw. And the emotions that go with that are greed and fear. <laughs> You'll hear that sometimes. So, so I want to make a lot of money, but I don't want to lose any money. So figuring out how to put a strategy together that gives you a good opportunity based on the time horizon you have, based on how long it is until you're going to use the money to buy the goal, that helps you figure out how I put a collection of investments together that are appropriate for that particular goal and that particular goal's time horizon. Okay. Well, when you talk about the greed and fear teeter-totter, I think you're trying to figure out how much risk you're willing to take. What is your risk tolerance? How does somebody figure – you hear that term all the time, can I sleep at night? How do you know how much risk you can take or how much risk you are taking by whatever it is you decide to invest in? There are actually a decent number of risk tolerance quizzes out there on the internet that you can take. They, they vary a little. A lot of the questions are similar and some are better than others. So I would recommend taking a few of those. But then also it's really important to be honest, both when you're taking a quiz like that and also when you think about how you might react to you know, market volatility and things like that. You need to be honest with yourself because it is better to take a more conservative approach than to pull your money out and run every time you get scared by the stock market. Perhaps if you've invested before, you can think about how you might have reacted in the past. But if you haven't invested before, you really need to be honest and try to predict as closely as you can how you might react to market events. Well, you know, we hear a lot that millennials are sort of scarred by the Great Recession. And uh, mm -hmm. they were just coming into the investment age. And these are the beginnings we're talking to. And you had that terrible, almost 50% decline in the market over a short period of time. That's scary. How, how do you overcome that and convince yourself to, to march into that wilderness for the first time, I guess? I think it helps to look at the facts. I mean, you may have seen your parents, perhaps their account balances go down. But if you check with them now, those account balances, as long as they stayed invested, are far higher than they were before. And they bounced back. I don't want to say quickly, because that's obviously a relative term, but they did bounce back as long as people stayed invested. So I think it helps to get a little context and look at the facts and see what actually happened after that recession. Because people who stayed invested are up and up significantly. Agreed. It depends on whether you're looking at the market through a microscope or a panoramic lens. And we're going to get into what a stock is. We've used that term already. But let's talk about the stock market. The stock market historically has behaved differently over short periods of time than it has over long periods of time. And as Ariel said, if you're just looking at one particular time period, which was very difficult for the people who lived through it, that gives you one picture. There's a very different picture if you pull back and look at the stock market over longer periods of time. So one of the ways to think about it is if you're planning to fly from New York to San Diego, you look at the weather in San Diego and you pack for San Diego. If it gets rainy and bumpy over West Virginia, you don't go, oh, I've only got a bathing suit and, and sunblock with me. I'm not packed right because you're not getting out of the plane over West Virginia. You're getting out of the plane when it's sunny. So if you're investing for retirement that's 40 years away, 
yes, the market can get bumpy in the short term, but you're not getting out of the plane. You're not using the money at that point. So it's important to look at the appropriate time horizon and how the stock market behaves over what you're connecting to your goal. That's a great analogy, Stuart. I hope you don't mind if I borrow that going (laughs) forward. I love that. Thanks. Now, we've talked about 401ks a couple of times. And I want to know what you think about them for the beginning investor. To me, they seem tailor-made as, a, as an environment for beginners to start. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. If you have a 401k at work, that's probably your best place to start investing, especially because of that match that we've mentioned a few times. So what that means is when you put money into your account, your employer will match you know, at least a portion of that. And that is the guaranteed return on your investment. And you're not going to find that really anywhere else. So you should... Definitely be taking advantage of that match. And then 401ks have a limited investment selection, which can be good to reduce confusion. And they're generally stocked with target date funds, which essentially take care of creating that mix of stocks and bonds for you. So you would pick a fund that matches the date when you plan to retire. So that's the year. So it might be 2055 for someone who's pretty young right now. And that fund will gradually rebalance as you approach that date to take less risk. So that's a good choice. And almost all 401ks offer that. And often that's what people are auto-enrolled into when they join the plan. So that makes 401ks really attractive. We're going to talk about a stock. Let's go back to that. What is a stock? What is a bond? And how do you decide how much of each you need to own? A stock means you've bought an ownership in a company. If you buy a stock in a particular company, you own part of the company. A bond means you've lent your money to a company. The bond is their agreement to pay you back, usually with some interest. So those are the technical definitions. But what's important is how a stock and how a bond behaves over the long term and over the short term. Historically, the stock market, collections of stocks overall, have provided one of the highest returns compared to other investments over the long term. Over short periods of time, the return of stocks can vary quite a bit. You mentioned the fact that it went down more than 50% at one point. That was over a short period of time. And when I say short, I mean in particular 18 months. So over a couple of years, you can get pretty big highs and pretty big lows. But the average over the long term has been about 10%. And the longer a time period you look at, the closer to that 10% it gets. Bonds, on the other hand, have had lower average returns and they've had lower variability over shorter periods of time. So to your point about, well, how much of each one do I have? That gets back to how long is it going to be until you're going to use the money? Well, once a person has figured out how much they want to buy in stocks, how do they decide which stocks to buy? Well, the first thing people need to understand is they need to buy lots of stocks. <laughs> that an individual company has the potential that something bad could happen to it. The formal term is business risk. Or one particular sector of the economy could have something happen to it, and that's sector risk. So if you only buy one stock or a couple of stocks – And unfortunately, it happens to be one of the ones that something unexpected happens to. Nobody buys one of these things thinking something bad is going to happen. But if something unexpected does, you might not end up with enough money to achieve your goal. 
So the way you manage the fact that something bad might happen to one or two individual stocks or a particular sector is you buy lots of stocks and lots of different sectors. What we're talking about here is the big word diversification. And that's making sure you own lots of different stocks and lots of different bonds for that part of your portfolio that you've decided to dedicate to those particular kinds of investments. Okay, and our beginning investor certainly can't go out and buy 300 different stocks. So what's the solution there? The solution is what Ariel alluded to. There was this invention called the mutual fund. And a mutual fund was the first way that people started packaging lots of stocks together so that somebody, instead of having to go out and research all the stocks and buy them individually, could purchase the mutual fund, and that had a whole bunch of stocks in it. There are even mutual funds now that are collections of mutual funds, so the entire portfolio that might be appropriate for a particular time horizon is put together in one package for you. And all you have to do is purchase that package, and that gives you the portfolio that might be appropriate for your situation. That's a great point. Now, if you've got a short-term goal to buy something in less than two years, what type of an investment strategy should you use for that short-term goal? For less than two years, I would really be prioritizing liquidity, which means, you know, making sure that your money is still there when you need it over growth. And so I wouldn't really be thinking about investing. I would be thinking more about like an online savings account, possibly a CD. In addition to that, one of the reasons you might want growth is because the cost of whatever you're going to buy can go up over time. And if it's going to be a long time before you buy it, the cost can potentially go up a lot. If you're buying it within two years, the price probably isn't going to move a whole lot. So you don't need growth. You don't want any of the potential volatility from the stock market. So as Ariel said, you're not investing at that point. You're just saving for it. Great point. And, and If a person's goal is to get a young kid through college, what investment strategies should he or she pursue? That's where getting the mix right between the stocks and the bonds comes in. So when your kids are younger, newborn, you've got 18 years before they start college and another four before they're done paying for it. You've got that long time horizon. Price of college can go up a lot potentially over that long period of time. You want as much growth as you can possibly get. So putting most, if not all, of the money in the stock market would make sense for that kind of time horizon. But kids grow up. And as they get older, the time until you're using the money starts shortening. That's when it makes sense to shift from stocks into bonds. So Whatever the strategy is that's appropriate at any given point in time, recognize that as your time horizon changes, so does that mix of stocks, bonds, and short-term investments need to change. The strategy has to change regardless of what your goal is. Any other examples of, of how you shift your investment strategies as you age? Oh, the big one's retirement. I mean, certainly as you're getting older, your time until retirement starts shrinking and you're going to want to make that shift. Now, one of the important things to remember for people is your investing doesn't end when you hit retirement. No one's, we hope, spending all of their money at age 65. One of the ways to recognize this is you need to plan on a 30-year retirement. And you can think of that as the first 15 years, and the second 15 years, which means conceptually, when you get to age 65, you're still not using half your money for 15 or 20 or 30 years. And over that time period, the price of all the exciting things you want to buy are going to go up. And the way to potentially keep up with that increase is to make sure you have 
adequate stocks in your portfolio to keep up with it. Here's a challenge for both of you. We like to call it keeping you up at night. I'll give you a hypothetical situation that people often don't feel confident about, and you respond with your perspective. Here it is. Is it safe to invest money when there is no guarantee of success in the market? It begs the question, safe from what? When it comes to putting your money in the market or not putting your money in the market, you've got two ends of a seesaw moving up and down. And one is the potential growth, and the other is the stability. And the more potential growth you have, the less stability you have. So what people will do sometimes is they'll just focus on one thing. Well, I want to be safe, and I'm doing air quotes, safe from the market volatility, which you can be, But it means you potentially get out of the stock market and your potential growth comes way down. So then you're faced with the situation, how do I get enough money for the thing I want to buy if I've removed the potential growth from my portfolio? And that means you have to save more or wait longer or buy something cheaper. So the way to get through this, how do I get the right balance, what's keeping me up at night, is to think about the time horizon. If you're not using the money for 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, your biggest concern should be the price of those things. If you're saving for your kid's college education and they're a newborn and parents who have thought about this go, oh, my gosh, the price of college. Think about what it might be when my child goes to college. That's what you want to be safe from. You want to make sure you're investing in a way that when you get to the point that you want to help your kid with college, that you want to be able to pay for things in retirement, you're in a position to be able to do that. Thank you. Ariel, what, what's your answer to what's keeping people awake at night? What I would say is you need to think about risk. And a risk that a lot of people don't consider is that they might not have money for their goal when that goal comes. And for a long-term goal, something that's really far away, there's a better chance that you won't be able to accumulate enough money to reach it if you don't invest. And so I think people tend to ignore the risk of not being able to meet their goal and focus on these risks of short-term volatility. When if you're investing for a long time horizon, you really have time to weather that volatility volatility, and you don't need to focus on that risk as much. Well said. And I'm afraid we've got to start wrapping things up. But before we go, we have one last segment that we call, If You Remember Just One Thing, where we offer our subject matter experts the opportunity to reflect on what we've talked about today and give us one takeaway from the episode. Ariel, what's your one thing? You know, my one thing is that it's never too late or too early to start investing. So I hear from a lot of people who think they've missed the boat. I hear from a lot of people who think retirement is so far away that they don't need to start yet. And the answer to both of those people is that it's never too early and it's never too late. You need to start now. Now is the best time to start. Okay, Stuart? Stop trying to be perfect. (laughs) Don't think you've got to figure out the right amount to save and maybe this wasn't quite the right investment package. You're going to make course corrections as you go, but the only way to correct a course is to start moving. So get started, figure things out as you go, but recognize that just moving forward will get you closer to your destination than just standing still and saying, "Mm, I haven't started yet. Hey, thanks to both of you for all this great advice. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I want to thank you for listening. Please be sure to join us for our next episode, Understanding IRAs. And if you like The Confident Wallet, please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
This episode of the Confident Wallet podcast series is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice. This podcast episode does not provide fiduciary recommendations concerning investments or investment management. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific benefit plan or retirement investor, nor is it directed to any recipient in connection with a specific investment or investment management decision. Investors will need to consider their own circumstances before making an investment decision. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. The views expressed at the time of this presentation may have changed since that time. Please consult the fund's prospectuses for a more complete discussion of the fund's risks. The principal value of target date funds is not guaranteed at any time, including at or after the target date, which is the approximate year an investor plans to retire, assumed to be age 65, and likely stop making new investments in the fund. If investor plans to retire significantly earlier or later than age 65, the funds may not be an appropriate investment even if the investor is retiring on or near the target date. The fund's allocations among a broad range of underlying stock and bond funds will change over time. The funds generally emphasize potential capital appreciation during the early phases of retirement asset accumulation, balance the need for appreciation with the need for income as retirement approaches, and focus on supporting an income stream over a long-term post-retirement withdrawal horizon. The funds are not designed for a lump sum redemption at the target date and do not guarantee a particular level of income. The funds maintain a substantial allocation to equities both prior to and after the target date, which can result in greater volatility over shorter time horizons. Diversification cannot guarantee a profit or protect against loss in a declining market. T. Rowe Price, the Bighorn Sheep Design, and the Confident Wallet, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. The trademarks displayed throughout this podcast are the property of their respective owners. T. Rowe Price Investment Services, Incorporated.